Lord, when we go down the mountain, continue to speak. Lord, make us the Nazarites who are here to bring you back. Lord Jesus, we love you. We consecrate ourselves to you. We're here for your heart's desire. We're not here for anything else. Lord, we're here for the building up of your bride so you can come back and crush the enemy. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Did you all enjoy the conference so far this weekend? What a glorious conference about the men who turn the age. A conference about how you, young sisters, can turn this age. Today's message is uh, message six. It's on page 51 on your booklet. If you could all turn to page 51. Now during the course of this message, we'll refer to some verses. So we'll probably be looking to some verses on the next couple pages, 53 and 54. So just a heads up if we have to flip back and forth. Now if everyone's on page 51, let's read the title of the message together. Daniel, a pattern of a person Amen. So today we see a practical way to follow someone to turn the age. A wonderful example that we've seen throughout this conference is Daniel. And Daniel represents a pattern for us as a person used by God to turn the age. You know, we need role models. In your school, you may have a particular role model so that you can study hard. Or maybe you play a sport at your school. And maybe there's a varsity athlete that's gone before you that was a pattern in terms of training because you wanted to achieve the goals that this, that this young lady had set, whether academically or physically, whatever. But spiritually, we also need role models. Our role models can be our parents, could be older ones in the church, could be maybe an older brother or a sister that's been able to help you and shepherd you and go on, could be a serving one. But today, we also want to see that Daniel is also our role model. And it doesn't matter that Daniel is a young man because he's a role model to everyone regardless if you're a brother or a sister. So Daniel is someone that's very applicable in our experience today. Very applicable in your experience today. Now we all know that Daniel was a young overcomer. Praise the Lord for the young overcomers. And Daniel as a young overcomer with his companions were able to bring the children of Israel from the age of captivity in Babylon to the age of return. And those of you who can see this, oops, sorry, I won't turn it too much. But basically what I've set up here is we see Daniel, and Daniel's brought with the companions. He's turned the age. He's turned the age from the age of captivity in Babylon to the age of return so that the children of Israel could go back to where they belong. They can go back home. You know, there's a, there's a hymn in the, in the hymnal that says, what exile cannot but desire for his homeland? Long ago, this, this, the writer of this hymn says, oh, long ago from Bethany we parted. Long ago from Israel, the children of Israel were parted. They were taken away into captivity. But in their heart, in the hearts of Daniel and the young overcomers, they yearned a desire to follow God's heart's desire. And God's heart's desire was to turn the age, was to go back from the age of captivity to the age of return, to bring the children of Israel back to where they belong according to what God's heart's desire was. And in the same way for us today, next to Daniel, I have the word us. That's you. That's us. There's an equal signs there because 
This is a pattern that we can follow. So we can also be those who turn the age. Daniel equals us because we are here. We have an opportunity to turn the age. Right now, the age that we live in is called the age of grace. And God's heart's desire is to turn this age of grace to the age of the kingdom. And it's called grace because we have an opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord and receive Him as grace, as our enjoyment, as our life, as our everything. And then we could be constituted as such as a group of young overcomers so that we, like Daniel and his companions, can turn the age to the age of the kingdom. Hallelujah for turning the age. Just as Daniel and his companions turned the age of captivity to the age of return, you and your companions can turn the age of grace to the age of the kingdom. The age of the kingdom, as we saw in the chapter in chapter two of Daniel, was that this smiting stone became a huge mountain. And this huge mountain filled the entire earth. And this represented the eternal kingdom of God. That's why you are all here on this earth. You are here to turn the age from the age of grace to the age of the kingdom. So Daniel is a wonderful pattern for us. Now let's go on to the outline here and let's read Roman numeral one together. Daniel had come. Now, through the course of this message, there's four Roman, four Roman numerals. And these four Roman numerals represent characteristics of a man who's turned the age. So these four characteristics are characteristics that we can apply and experience in our daily life as young overcomers today. In fact, if you'd like to learn more, if you'd like to read more, the, the book from which this outline came from is called Men Who Turn the Age. If you want to write that down, you can actually go online. You know how the internet can be a source of idolatry? Well, you can go to ministrybooks.org. That's ministrybooks, one word, .org. And then click on a book called The Men Who Turn the Age. And these four characteristics are in chapter two of that particular book. So that's for your reference when you go down the mountain and you want to get further into this message. So we see in this Roman numeral that Daniel had companions with whom he was absolutely consecrated. Hallelujah for consecration. Amen. And separated unto God. Hallelujah for separation. Amen. So you see consecration, separation, and companions go hand in hand. You can't be a young overcomer and just be consecrated and just be separated without having companions. And to have companions and be a young overcomer requires you to be consecrated and to be separated. So these come hand in hand. And related to this matter of companions, thankfully, you don't have to stand alone. Can you imagine if you have to stand alone in this entire world against the tide of this age? It'd be very difficult. Daniel didn't have to stand alone. He stood with companions. He had companions with whom he could be consecrated and separated to God and unto God against the tide of this age. But when we come to this matter of companions, our first initial thought is somewhat natural. Okay, well, I'd like to be consecrated to the Lord and I'd like to turn the age. Who could be my companion? And our first thought, I know my first thought when I heard this as a young person was, well, it could be someone that I'm really close to. Because that's a companion, right? It's like your best friend, perhaps. But what's interesting is that God's heart's desire in his ordination for you to have a companion might not match what you think 
is going to be your companion. In fact, it might not be your best friend. Your companion should be based on your prayer to God. Amen. So, even right now, I hope you would silently pray, Lord, who would be my companion? Who could I be consecrated and separated to God and unto God with? Who can I pursue you with, Lord? Do give me this companion. And who knows, it might be that best friend. Maybe you and your best friend are right now separately praying this same prayer and the Lord touches you so that you too could be companions. But it's not necessarily someone that you think would be your best friend. Brother Tom shared with us, with, with some of the brothers last night, about a story of a young sister, not much older than you, a young sister, in the country of Hungary. How many of you know where Hungary is? That's good. Okay, we have a smattering. Hungary is a small country in Eastern Europe. In fact, it's so small and so obscure that even I wouldn't be able to point it out to you on a map. You know? And this young sister, her name was Marta, was the only young sister in the entire Lord's recovery in Hungary. Can you imagine being the only one who was for the Lord in your entire country? You're 15 years old, and you have no one you can turn to, no companion whatsoever. And so what did she do? She prayed. She prayed continuously that the Lord would provide her with a companion because it was so hard to go on in this godless age without a companion. And interestingly enough, you know who the Lord gave her as her companion? It wasn't her friend at school. It was actually her mom. Isn't that amazing? Your mother could be your companion. The same mother that tells you to wash the dishes, to stop fighting with your younger brother or younger sister, to do your homework, to pick up after yourself, can be your companion. This is wonderful. This is according to God's ordination. Because God has set out someone for you in His eternal will to be your spiritual companion. Someone that you can be built up with. Someone that you can overcome the tide of this age with. And it may be your best friend, but it might also be your mom. So you don't know. But the point here is, sisters, we need to pray. We need to pray, even right now, Lord, give me a spiritual companion. Can we all pray that together? Lord, give me a spiritual companion. Let's also pray, Lord, give me a companion according to Your heart's desire. Lord, give me a companion according to Your heart's desire. Now when you have a companion that you can pray with, that you can fellowship with, that is given to you according to God's heart's desire, then you can overcome the tide of this age. Now let's go back to the book of Daniel and look at some examples. In Daniel chapter 1, what was the most significant thing here in Daniel chapter 1? He refused to drink and eat the king's food, right? This is the point we need to remember. He refused to eat and drink the king's food. But did he do this alone? He did this with Hananiah. He did this with Mishael. And he did this with Azariah. He was able to refuse the king's food and drink because he had an opportunity to consult with his companions, even pray with his companions about what to do. Because they knew, because they had studied the word of God, that they weren't supposed to eat any unclean food or drink offered to idols because they were pure, they were holy, they were set apart for God, and by doing so they would be defiled. 
He had companions that he could turn to the Lord with, that he could pray with, to seek comfort and companionship in so that they could stand against the tide of this age. Today, maybe for you, it might not be eating food or drink offered to idols, but it could be something else. There's a lot of things going on in your lives that, that I know are difficult. And again, I don't have any daughters. Uh, I'm not a, a, a sister. But I, do, I did have two younger sisters, and I remember growing up, you know, um, when they weren't able to do things, it was like, why? Why can't I go? You know, why can't I do this? It's just because I'm a girl. You let Nikayo go. You know, like, no. Uh, but, you know, do you guys ever say that? It's just because I'm a girl, right? I think that excuse has been used a lot. Or it's so unfair. I wish I, I, wish I wasn't here. I wish, I, I wish you, maybe you even said I wish you weren't my, my mom or you, you, I wish you weren't my dad. But sometimes you'll be faced with these types of temptations. And instead of getting upset at your parents or upset at someone that says you shouldn't do it, you should turn to your companions and pray about it. Even before someone has to say no. But pray. Come to the Lord with this person. Fellowship about this particular situation that you're facing so that you will not be defiled, so that you don't have to eat or drink of food or drink that's been offered to idols, so that you can stand against the tide of this age. And then in Daniel chapter 2, do you guys remember what happened in Daniel chapter 2? Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a great image, and, and he said to all the wise men, tell me this dream and interpret this dream, and if you don't, I'm killing you. And none of them can do it. So he's like, okay, kill them. And he, and he was going to kill them all. Except Daniel, when he heard about this, he had an opportunity to turn to his companions and fellowship with them and pray and, and ask the Lord, beseech the Lord, Lord, tell me this dream and give me its interpretation. He had companions with which he could pray and with which he could fellowship. Again, this is so critical. Daniel has a pattern. He had companions who were absolutely consecrated to God, separated unto God, with whom he could pray and fellowship. Sisters, you all need to be, have these companions today because it's so hard to be alone. And then in chapter 3, do you remember what happened in chapter 3? After the dream, Nebuchadnezzar had also built up a great golden image. You know, uh, the brothers had mentioned Nebuchadnezzar was so egomaniacal, so full of himself that when he heard about the, the dream, the image in chapter 2, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm the head. I'm the golden head. I'm a great golden God. And then he decided to build this image, right, of himself in chapter 3. And then he commanded everyone to, to bow down and worship this image. Now the Bible says that Daniel's three companions stood against this. They didn't agree with this. In fact, they had fellowshiped with each other and quite possibly fellowshiped with Daniel before this even happened because Daniel's not at the scene and prayed about what to do had they been forced to kneel and bow down before this image. Daniel must have been hidden away and praying the whole time for his companions, praying that the Lord would guide them and that the Lord would supply them and not necessarily deliver them from the situation but come into their situation to make it much more pleasant. Sisters, we need to pray for our companions. We need to have companions, not only so that they can pray for us, not only so that our needs can be met or our situations could be addressed, but also so we could be a help to them. We could pray for them. 
How beautiful is it that you could help someone else? That you could supply your companion by praying for them? How many of you have friends, maybe, or companions that are going through tough times and that you think you could pray for them? Your prayer is more than just words of consolation and words of help out of your natural self. Your prayer can do so much more than just your words of advice. So do have companions so you can pray for them. It's so important to follow Daniel as a pattern, to have companions, to be able to pray and fellowship with them, to have them pray and fellowship for you, and to pray and fellowship for them. It's so critical, sisters. Now let's read letter A under Roman numeral 1. All those who are used by God, turn to age, must be Nazarites, voluntarily consecrated ones who are sanctified absolutely to God. The verse related here in Psalm 110 speaks about voluntarily consecrating yourself to be a Nazarite. And we've touched upon this already. Our consecration is simple. That enables God to operate within us. We need to cooperate so that God can operate. Let's read letter B together. Amen. Let's read that last phrase in quotes together with those together. With those who call on Amen. We need to have companions who we can pursue the Lord with. And these ones are those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Oh, let's all call on the Lord right now out of our pure heart. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. How wonderful it is to have someone, a companion that you're close to, that you can call on the Lord with. Out of everything in this world that's so shallow and so fake, and the one thing that's real is Christ and the church, and you have an opportunity to have a companion to pursue the only thing that's real in this entire universe. To call on the Lord out of a pure heart with your companion. Let's read C together. If we are going to live a holy life for the church life, we must be careful about our diet, which is a matter of life or death. Let's, re let's read one. To eat is to contact things outside of us and receive them into us with the result that they become in the Constitution. And two, our eating signifies our contacting of people, our contacting with certain kinds of people and reconstituted and may make us another kind of person. I wanted to read you two verses that aren't in your, uh, your booklet. And the first verse is Proverbs 13.20. And it's a great verse. It speaks about companionship. Let me read it to you. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Amen. Do you want to be wise? Amen. Do you want to have the wisdom of God within you? Then you need to walk with those who have the wisdom of God within them. And the second part of this verse in Proverbs 13.20, but the companion of fools will be troubled. So if your companions with someone who doesn't have the wisdom of God within them, who's not wise, you will be like them. If they don't have God's wisdom in them, then they're fools. And your companions can make you a fool as well. 
This is not something that you would want. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.33, and I'll read this to you as well. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. This is a really powerful verse. Don't be deceived, sisters. Don't think that it's okay, that you can walk around the well and you won't fall in. Don't be deceived. Don't think that you can go down this path and that one day you'll come back because right now you just want to have your fun. Don't be deceived. This is what Paul is telling the believers. Evil, compa evil companionships corrupt good morals. You know, related to our eating that these points tell us, eating signifies our contacting of people. We need to be careful with whom we contact and with whom we befriend. Now, there's this picture of, of a fish, you know, a fish with scales and fins, you know, a fish that swims in the ocean, a fish that although the ocean water is really salty, when you eat that fish, you have to add tartar sauce to it, right? Or maybe season it a little bit. How many of you have eaten fish? Fish, right? Everyone's eating fish more or less. Sometimes, you know, like, I like to add soy sauce, you know. Um, but some people like to add different types of sauces to fish because when you eat fish without any sauces, any condiments, it doesn't taste salty at all. So what's interesting about this example is that you sisters are all fish swimming in this vast ocean that is the world. And this ocean is filled with salt water, filled with the corruption and idolatry of this world. But yet you sisters don't taste salty at all. That's because this salt, this corruption, doesn't get into you. Because you are ones who are consecrated and separated. And you would have companions with which you could pursue the Lord with. So that while you're in the world, you are not of the world. And of course you're saying, Mikhail, well, I, I got to go to school, right? And I have friends, and I work, so I have colleagues at work that I interact with, because we're normal people. We, we don't... We don't walk around like this and just, hi, hi, you know, and just don't talk to people in a normal way. But our friendships, our contacts with people that aren't believers, it would be all for the furtherance of the gospel. The purpose of us having non-believers as our contacts, even as our friends, you could say, is so that you could preach the gospel of the kingdom to them. Can you imagine when the Lord comes back, your friend who's not a believer, will be with you, with the Lord, and the Lord will have an account. And your friend will remember that you were the one that brought her to salvation. How awesome is that? Can you imagine for the rest of eternity, that's the greatest gift you can give your friend. You know, maybe we think, oh, my best friend, it's her birthday, I want to get her something really nice. Well, the, oh, you know, the best gift you can give your friend is the gift of salvation. Amen. It's to preach the gospel of the kingdom to them. To get them saved. To bring them into the church life. To make them your spiritual companions so that you too, together with all the rest of the sisters, can become part of the smiting stone and crush the idol at its toes. You know why you crush the idols at its toes? Because when you hack off something that's standing on its feet, everything just tumbles down. That's why, the, that's why the stone doesn't smash it in the head. Because the idol won't necessarily fall down. You've got to smash it at its feet. And that's, that requires you to have a companion. 
And it requires you, if you have friends in the world, contacts in the world, to yes, be normal, to study with them, to train with them, to work with them, but not get too close lest you become salted and instead preach the gospel to them to get them saved. So that's the, that's, that's the significance of our contact with, with our eating, our contact with people. So let's read Roman numeral 2 now together. Daniel joined himself to God's desire through God's Word. Now, now many times you may have heard, we have to read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. And I'm sure you've heard it so many times, you're like, okay, I've heard it enough. But let's give you this example of Daniel. When he read the Bible, he didn't read the Bible for mere knowledge. He wasn't reading it like a textbook. He wasn't reading it like a novel. What he read the Bible for was so that he could intimately understand God's heart's desire so he could take God's commandments and apply them and experience them to himself for the purpose of God's move on this earth. So if you look at Daniel chapter 1, we talked about this already. They didn't eat the king's food. Well, how did Daniel know? It's because he read the books of Moses. And in the books of Moses, Moses specifically said, he wrote what God had commanded the children of Israel. And it was written that the children of Israel shouldn't, cannot, are prohibited, are absolutely not allowed to eat any unclean food. And especially anything that's been offered to idols. So Daniel knew by reading the word of God that he had to take a stand against the tide of this age. And because he understood this, he was able to apply it to himself. It wasn't like, oh, the Bible says don't do this, so I won't do this. No, it was the Bible says don't do this, not just to not do this. The Bible says don't do this because God's purpose will be accomplished if you don't do this. It's not just a matter of not doing something. It's a, there's a bigger goal in mind. It's so that God's purpose can be accomplished. Don't eat of the food that's been offered to idols and the drink that's been offered to idols because it's dirty. Not merely because it's dirty, but don't do it because it's dirty and because it causes you to be defiled and then you can't turn the age. God won't have a remnant of people on this earth that can cause the children of Israel to turn from the age of captivity to the age of return. That's why Daniel read the Bible. And that's why we all need to read the Bible. So that we can understand God's heart's desire and understand that He wants a bride. Oh, He wants a bride? That's why I need to remain pure and holy and be a vessel that's undefiled. A vessel that's not used up like the vessels of God's house as Belshazzar used, as we saw last night, in a drunken, debaucherous stupor. With vessels contaminated, God doesn't have a way to move on this earth. And that's why we read the Bible, so that we can see God's purpose and apply it to ourselves. And then Daniel chapter 9. We haven't really touched on this, but Daniel chapter 9 is so sweet because in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel reads the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how many of you have, have had an opportunity to read the entire Old Testament? It's okay. It's okay. Some of you have. How many of you have read through the whole New Testament? Okay, a few more, because many times in the Summer School of Truth, you're, um, they ask you to read through the, the whole New Testament in some localities as well. Well, if Daniel hadn't read the book of Jeremiah, he wouldn't have realized that the time was coming for the children of Israel to be released from captivity and be brought back 
to the land of Emmanuel, the good land, the land from where they came, their homeland that they had desired to go back to. They were in exile. They were taken away to a foreign land and land of idols, but Daniel and his companions maintained that flame, that little burning flame, that lamp that shined so that God's heart's desire would be carried out by some people. God still had a way to bring His people back to Israel. And he read, he read Jeremiah in Daniel chapter 9, and he was so touched, he was so happy that they were going back, that God revealed to him that they were going back, that he just repented. He repented for the sins of himself. He repented for the sins of all his people. He asked for the Lord to forgive them, to prepare them, oh, to wash them, so that they could go back to this land, so that they would be ready to go back to the land of Israel. Now, if Daniel hadn't read this in Jeremiah, if he hadn't read the Bible with the view of God's purpose and a view to apply it to his daily living, then he wouldn't have known to repent for himself and repent for the children of Israel. Now, you need to too, also sisters, see that God has a heart's desire that's hidden in this Bible. And that when you read the Word with a view to God's purpose, then you will understand why you will live such a Christian life. Things that seem so difficult and seem so pointless before will all make sense. Will, you will have clarity in your being that will cause everything to make sense. Now I understand why this type of rule is such. Now I understand why the serving ones, my parents, the brothers and sisters, recommend that we don't do this. It'll all make sense if you read the Word of God, if you are joined to God's heart's desire. Daniel, in reading the Word of God, was joined to God's heart's desire in the Word. Now, related to God's heart's desire in the Word, if you are joined to God's heart's desire, then you won't be yoked with unbelievers. What does being yoked with unbelievers mean? Well, we touched on this previously. To, to, be, to befriend fools and become like a fool. To have friends of the world and you become salted. God's heart's desire is that we would remain pure and undefiled and not be yoked with unbelievers. This example, this verse from which yoked comes from, do you guys know what yoked means? Yoked comes from an, an old cart in the old days. And there was a cart. And you know, obviously, they didn't have engines back then, so they needed animals to pull this cart. And it was very clear after the early, early man tried to pull a cart with a horse and a cow, that when you set up your cart to be pulled by a horse and a cow, things never worked. Because the cow would plod along at one pace, and the horse would plod along at another pace. And so when they were yoked together, when they were put together, chained together to pull the cart, the cart couldn't go anywhere because they were going at different speeds. They were going in different directions. They had different purposes in life. The horse's purpose is different from the cow's purpose. In the same way, when you're yoked with an unbeliever, you will be walking at different speeds. Different speeds because you have different purposes. Your purpose should be and hopefully is for God's purpose. But this unbeliever's purpose, the person you are yoked to, whether or not it's just a, a, a best friend or maybe it's someone who 
or it's someone of the opposite gender that you think could be your boyfriend or someone that you would want to marry eventually. That's an unbeliever. This person's pace is different from your pace. God's heart's desire is not that you would be yoked, that you would be connected intimately with someone who moves at a different pace from his heart's desire. He wants you to move together at his pace. So we need to be yoked with believers. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. And if you are joined to God's heart's desire through reading his word, then you will see that there is no way that I would choose to be yoked, to be paired up with someone who is not a believer. So now let's read letter A together. God's living word works in us to separate us from the world and move us out of our devices of self into the oneness of the triune God. Amen. Let's read B. Now there's five following life principles, and these are great points. And for those of you who uh, are taking notes, let's, let's just let's read, uh, let's read one together. We must open our entire being to the Lord for the inner shining of the divine light and the supplying of the divine light. Now take your pen and underline the phrase, open our entire being. And underline Proverbs 20.27. 20, that's the verse that's related to opening your entire being. You know, sometimes you'll read points on the outline and you might think, oh, where did these brothers get these points from? Are they just making stuff up? Every point is from the Bible. So this, this is the direct connection. If you want proof, go to Proverbs 20, 27. Now let's read number two together. We must seek the Lord with all our heart. Underline 119.2. This is Psalms 119.2. And underline, seek the Lord with all our heart. Let's read three together. We must deal with anything that separates us from the Lord. Underline, deal with anything which separates us from the Lord. And underline Acts 24.16. Now let's read number four together. We must humble ourselves before the Lord putting aside our self-confidence and self-assurance and looking to Him for His mercy and grace. Let's underline, humble ourselves before the Lord and underline 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Now let's read point five together. We must exercise our spirit to pray over and with God's Word and exercise our whole being to muse on His Word. Now let's underline, Exercise our spirit to pray over and with God's word. And underline Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. So these five points, sisters, that you've underlined and these verses that you've underlined can be precious prayers to yourself that you can pray to yourself and even pray with your companions. In fact, let's all pray these prayers. I'll pray a simple prayer related to each point and you can just follow along, okay? Lord, we open our entire being to You. Lord, Lord, we seek You with all our heart. 
Lord, deal with anything that separates us from You. Lord, we humble ourselves before You. Lord, we exercise our spirit to pray over and with Your Word. With these five prayers, sisters, you can, you can really see God's heart's desire. And I would encourage you, after this meeting and during the course of this week, if you feel a little down, if you want a little refresher, turn to the, your booklets and read over your notes, things that you enjoyed. And even pray over these five points and pray read over the verses related to these five points. So as we've seen, Daniel had companions with whom he was absolutely consecrated to God and separated unto God with. And we also see the second characteristic of Daniel as a pattern of a man who turned the age, that he was joined to God's heart's desire through his word. Brother Tom will take us through the rest of the message. happy to be here with you all this weekend. I hope you enjoyed your time. I feel that the Lord has been really good to uh, show us something. And uh, this morning as we're really at the end, we're looking to the Lord how, we would, how should we end this conference and how we should, uh, what kind of word would the Lord give us to send us home with what we've seen. And uh, so anyway, we have these four characteristics. And these four characteristics have been uh, played out in this story of Daniel again and again, almost in every chapter. You can identify each of these characteristics. Anyway, our thought is this morning, we just would like to shepherd you a little bit as to uh, what and how you should feel about all of this. Uh, how many start school tomorrow? A number of you have to go. How many have already started school? Sorry. <laughs> How many start uh, later this week? So pretty much everybody's back to school or going back to school this week. So with, uh, what, with what we've been on this weekend, uh, actually I considered this to be quite a, a high vision. We started on Friday night with a, a call for a dispensational instrument a group of people with dispensational value that the Lord could use at the end of this age to turn the age. And I think as we went through the weekend and looked at these stories, we saw the kind of people that are so useful in the Lord's hand that, that become precious to Him. Uh, last night in the message uh, we had on Daniel, even being a man of prayer, it's so touching that someone could be so one with God one with God's desire, and could give God the prayers that he needed to turn the age. And the Lord gave us a kind of utterance last night that the age was turned on Daniel's knees. I think this is really good. And I believe this age will be turned in the exact same way. The third characteristic of the people who turn the age, those that are useful, is that they are a man of prayer. 
I think it's good for us. We should ask the Lord, Lord, make me a man of prayer. You know, all these characteristics are not demands on us. They are descriptions of what the Lord intends to do with us. He wants to make us uh, corporate people, a vital group, absolutely consecrated to the Lord and absolutely separated from the world. The only way to do this is with our vital companions. This is the first one. Then Nikaio just finished. Uh, being joined to God's desire through his word. See, it's not just a matter of black and white Bible. The Bible says this, and the Bible says that. So brother mentioned, it's a matter that beyond the, the pages of the Bible and hidden in the pages of the Bible is the desire of God. And when we read the word, that's what we have to get to. We have to dig down to that depth so that we touch the very heart desire of God in his word. This means we may have to read the Bible over and over and over again, especially when we're young. We should try. You know, he said that. We always encourage you to read the Bible. And again, we will today read the Bible. You've got to go through it several times. And then pretty soon, the desire of God's heart begins to impress you. You begin to have God's feeling about things, and you begin to have God's reaction to things. Then, uh, then, you, then you know how to pray. If you don't have God's desire, you have no idea how to pray, except to pray for yourself or for your own needs. And so last night we saw the Lord really needs to deliver us from our self-centered prayers and our self-absorbed uh, uh, kind of prayer life. I think that was quite, uh, quite clear last night. Anyway, let's go on. Let's read Romans 3. Uh, ready, go. Daniel was a man of prayer with an excellent spirit, a spirit fearing God, honoring God, exalting God, and living under God's rule in the reality. He was under the ruling of the heavens. Do you know when Daniel uh, was praying, uh, this happened on more than one occasion, an angel came to him uh, to answer his prayer, to give him a message from God. And when the angel appeared to Daniel, the angel said this to him. He said, Daniel, man of preciousness. He called him a man of preciousness that Daniel's prayers made him so precious to the Lord. And then at one time, after he had prayed for three weeks and did not get an answer, finally an answer came. It's complicated to explain why it took three weeks. Anyway, his prayer stirred up war in heaven. You couldn't believe this. This guy, he, he's just praying with his window open towards Jerusalem, probably feeling like a failure living in the midst of a horrible worldly situation, not feeling like an overcomer, needing to pray all the time because he's so weak, he can't do it, he's old, his people are in captivity, nothing is going right, and he's praying on his knees, and those prayers stirred up a war among Satan's angels and the angels of God. And this war was going on for three weeks. And then finally... Michael, who is the fighting archangel, came through 
and broke through the enemy's resistance to deliver a message to Daniel. Amazing. Then he said, not just man of preciousness, he said, Daniel, you are preciousness itself. Wow. How would you like to get that label? God, you know, we've heard this through the, through the years that when the Lord comes, he comes as a thief to steal precious things. You know, he, he comes to steal. You know, a thief doesn't come to steal your garbage. He comes to look for the precious things in your house. And he comes at an unknown time. And this is a little secret on how to become precious and even preciousness itself. Uh, Daniel learned this and became such a person. Okay, let's go through, uh, let's go through these points. We have to go quickly, quicker. A, fearing God means wanting God, desiring single-heartedly to keep his will, being fully submissive to him, wanting nothing of ourselves, walking not according to our will, and seeing God's greatness alone. You know, there is no way, actually you could have an entire conference on this one point. And at least this becomes a good point to pray over. Fearing God means wanting God. Ask her, Lord, what is it that I want? What do I want? Well, I want this, I want that, I want a good education, I want to go to this university, I want to have a, a good married life, I want a good career, I want to make a lot of money. What do I want? Fearing God means wanting God. So all, all this, this kind of a point needs us to pray a lot to get into this, to see what, what is there. B, go ahead, why don't you read B? Is to live and walk by the Spirit for Christ's exaltation in order to honor others by ministering the Spirit to them. Honoring God and honoring man Really, it means to enjoy the Lord as the Spirit. That gives God the top honor. We honor Him by enjoying Him. You know, last night I mentioned that God wants to make us happy. Well, we honor Him by allowing Him to become our enjoyment. And then we honor other people by sharing that enjoyment with them. C, prayer in the Spirit, through the exercise of our spirit, brings us under God's ruling presence for the carrying out of his economy. I think we all should read number one. The highest expression of a man who cooperates with God, God carries out his economy on earth through his faithful channels of prayer. The highest expression, oh I love this, the highest expression of a man who cooperates with God is in prayer. We saw this weekend that God needs our cooperation, right? This is the way to give him the highest cooperation. Two, go ahead, read that. Prayer is the lifeline. The more we should pray, the more he tries to stop it. Brother Lee said this, when you have your set time of prayer, you should expect that there's going to be a lot of distractions. As soon as you decide that at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, be sure your phone will ring. The doorbell will, will sound. 
people will come to visit you that normally don't come to visit you. One of the brothers testified that he was with Brother Lee and they were having some fellowship and prayer together and the doorbell rang and Brother Lee said, don't answer it, it's the devil. The brother said, I, I was scared to find out who was there at the door. Because to him, when, when he was praying, there was nothing else on the earth as important as that. He really set aside times to contact the Lord. And we should be sure that as soon as we begin to try to have a prayer life, Satan will do all kinds of things to interrupt that, to stop it, and to distract that. Okay. Uh, point three. Let's read this. Daniel depended... Sisters, don't you love this point? Daniel depended on prayer to do what he could not do. I'd just like to ask you this morning, and this is a little bit of a concern that I have on the last day at the end of this conference. You know, we've covered men who turn the age. We've covered, talked about being a Nazarite, about people with dispensational value, about becoming a dispensational instrument, about standing against the idols, about standing for the Lord, about even becoming a person of prayer. And then maybe while we're here, it's so inspiring. But let me ask you, can you do this? Who can do this? Who can be a Nazarite? Sisters, I, maybe you think that the purpose of this conference is so that you could go and do something for the Lord. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's hard for me to admit this. I can't do this. Sisters, I can't do this. Brothers, I'll confess to you. I can't. I can't. You know what? Not have any wine? Not, not touch anything of the world? Is this something... No seed of the grape, no skin of the grape. We try, we really try, but you know, we, we're full of failures, full of weakness, full of mistakes. Can we really be that submissive? Can we just grow our hair out long and be so submissive to God? Then the first thing that happens, we get home, our parents tell us something, and that intrinsic rebellion in our being just rises up and comes out. Well, maybe the whole weekend I've been trying to convince you to become a Nazarite, and this morning I'm going to convince you that it's impossible. Sisters, it's impossible. Let's all say this together. It's impossible. Brother Tom, you shouldn't say that. Don't tell them that. At least they should try. At least they should give it the old Joe College try. Right? Otherwise, if you don't even try... You know, you've got to at least show God that you're putting a little effort into it. You know, there's a story in the Gospels that's really quite touching where a rich young ruler came to the Lord. And he said this. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The operative word being do. His whole, his whole uh, idea was that he could do something that could uh, 
earn him eternal life. So with him, it was a matter of do. And that he could earn. Sisters, what can we do? The Lord said, okay, you know, keep the law. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and mother. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would never do that. I've kept the law since I was a little kid. I've never broken any of them. I didn't steal. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't lie. All those from my birth, I've kept it. So the Lord now is being a little bit concerned because he really loves this guy and he really wants to gain this guy, but he is altogether in the wrong realm. I'm concerned this morning that we all may be all in the wrong realm. We may be in this realm of what can I do? What can I do? Then the Lord said, okay, you're lacking just one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What the Lord did is he raised the bar from the level of possibility to the level of absolute impossibility. He took it way off the chart. He made it so that it was utterly impossible for this man to inherit eternal life. You think, Lord, why would you do that? And you know what he did? He became sorrowful and he left. He went away sorrowful. And the Lord was disappointed that he went away sorrowful. Sisters, I'm so afraid that this conference may have this effect, that we go away from this conference sorrowful because we can't do this. I have to tell you, you can't do this. I can't do this. It's not that the serving ones are trying to get you to do this. If the serving ones were honest with you, they would tell you the same thing. They are worldly too. Me too. I have a problem with the world just like you. Don't think I'm any different than you. I have a problem with submission just like you. I have the same intrinsic rebellion in my being. I have the same problems. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but you need to know this. The disciples, after the Lord, after this guy went away sorrowful, the disciples kind of got on the Lord's case. They said, man, we're trying to get people, you know? We're trying to get them into the fold. We're trying to save people, and you're sending them away. You're making it hard. How can we sell this gospel if you make it so hard on people? And the Lord, he answered, he said this. He said, with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. With men, it's impossible. Let me take you through a little step, step by step. You see, the secret of the Christian life is that Christians have to do the impossible. They have to live the impossible. To live the life of a God-man, impossible. To become God in life and nature, impossible. To become a vital group, impossible. To become an overcomer, impossible. To be dispensational instrument. But we have to do it. There's no other way. 
And the Bible shows us again and again how it happened. It happened with people. Daniel depended on God to do what he could not do and to understand what men cannot understand. It goes like this, brothers and sisters. This, I, ho- I hope you can catch this. I, I, I really do. It's something like this. I can't do it. This is step one. I can't do it. Step two is, if I could do it, it's probably natural. It's probably human strength, human effort. A lot of us stop there. I can't do it, so forget it. I can't do it, whatever. Like the rich young rule, I can't do it, going away sorrowful. Right? But that's not the end. The third step, sisters, this is the point. The third step is this. It has to be done. It has to be done. Nazarites, give you an example. Nazarite, I can't do it. Even if I could muster the strength and push it out and force it, I might be able to get by a week, three days, you know, two weeks. I might be able to be a Nazarite for a week and a half. Then boom. And if I can, probably it's just my effort, my natural strength. But it's, it still has to be done. I still have to be a Nazarite. I agree with this. I say amen to this. So the last step, and this is the critical part, is Lord, you do it. You do it. Do it in me. Do it with me. Live yourself in me. Use me. This is the difference. Christian life is mysterious. Very mysterious. It's the Lord living himself in and through people. This this is confirmed by two verses. Galatians 2.20 that says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. This is what it is. The demand is so high. The expectations are high. The vision is so high, and we can't do it. But Lord, do it in me. Do it. I agree with it. I say amen to it. Work it out. Work it out in my life. You do it. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace unto me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, it was not me, but it was me. It was, it was me, but it wasn't me. I can't explain it. He did it. At the end, you know, when we see the Lord at the end, we're all going to say, Lord, you did it. I couldn't. I am just the accumulation of mistakes and failures. But you are the only overcomer. You are the unique Nazarite. I eat you and I enjoy you. I take you and you do it in me. Do it in us. Lord, we look to you that you would accomplish everything you released this weekend. We tell you collectively that we can't do this. But you can do this in us. According to your economy and according to your grace. 
Isn't that good? I hope this would encourage you. All right, we have to wrap up. Anyway, Daniel depended on, you should highlight that point, number three, depended on prayer to do what man could not do. And he depended on prayer to understand what man could not understand. Sisters, if there's some things here this weekend you don't understand, you have to say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand this. Number four, let's read it together. Daniel's When Daniel prayed, he kept saying, for your sake, for your sake. In fact, I want to share a verse with you from Daniel chapter 9, verse 19. Uh, the Lord gave us this verse in Europe. And uh, it's such a good verse. It matches this kind of point that we've just been fellowshipping. It goes like this. It's, it's the right way to prayer. Pray. Learn from Daniel how to pray. Daniel 9.19. Oh Lord, hear. His prayer was one word. Hear. Then it was, Oh Lord, forgive. Why? Because we're full of idols. We're full of mixture. We love the world that is under God's judgment. Forgive. Oh Lord, forgive. What is in that word? that Daniel prayed forgive. It must be all the feeling of repentance and shame and sorrow to the Lord. Summarized in one word, forgive. Oh Lord, forgive. Then he prayed, oh Lord, listen and take action. That means, Lord, you do it. You do it. Listen and take action. Then he said, do not delay for your sake, oh my God. That's the right way to pray. How about let's all say this. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and take action. Oh Lord, do not delay. Amen. Oh Lord, do not delay. Amen. For your sake, O oh my God. A oh little lesson on prayer. All right, let's read Roman uh, 4. Daniel was a sa sacrifice. You know what? Uh, striking thing all weekend with these three guys plus Daniel. Four. Daniel and his companions, is that they constantly were dealing with life and death matters, but they had no fear of death. They, did not, they were not afraid what Nebuchadnezzar could do to them. This made them incredibly powerful. They could face him down. They could look him in the eye and say, no, we're not going to eat that food. No, we're not going to bow down. No, we're not going to stop praying. It's always no. And it's always bold. Maybe even impolite. And it was always at the risk of their life. They were not dealing with a kind of innocent situation because they had a spirit of martyrdom. You know what this means? This means they had already 
dealt with their self to such an extent that when it came to dying, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to them. They lived a life under the cross. And because they lived a life under the cross, when they had to face those kinds of situations, they were so powerful. Satan cannot do anything with a person who does not love his soul life. Let's read Revelation 12, 11. It's on your verse sheet. You can see here who are the uh, overcomers. These are the ones that stir up war in heaven. It's on the bottom of page 54. Ready, go. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they loved not their soul life even unto death. The blood of the Lamb is for what? It's for all of our mistakes and failures and shortcomings in our Nazarite vow. In our consecration to the Lord, there may be mistakes, failures, sin. And so we have the blood of the Lamb. And then they have the word of their testimony. This is their bold declaration. I failed, but my decision did not change. My consecration stands. I can't do it, but he will do it. That is the word of my testimony. That is my bold stand. I'm not good. I'm not an overcomer. But I'm enjoying the overcomer, the unique one. He is my stand. And they love not their soul life unto death. This is, this is what overcomers are made of. Okay? Let's read A together. This is also just a beautiful point. Everyone whom God uses to turn the age is afraid of only one thing, that is to offend God and lose His presence. Did we read Romans 4 already? Yeah, self-sacrificing person, a spirit of martyr. These, these guys, they're not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. They're not afraid of lions. They're not afraid of a blazing furnace of fire. They're not afraid of dying. But they are afraid of something. And what they are afraid of is losing the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence is what sustained them, maintained them, kept them. And to lose that is to lose everything. This is, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this awesome? B, go ahead. Daniel shows us. is a self-sacrificing person. He was a person who did not care for his own life. Amen. Let's read C together. Young brothers and sisters, has followed Satan. God wants to gain absolute young people so that he can use them to turn the age. I believe that everyone who has received mercy from God today will surely respond to this matter. I believe these ones will surely want to touch God's desire, be voluntarily consecrated one, Nazarites to be used by God as an anti-testimony in this ever-degrading age. I would just like to close with 
uh, a story as an illustration of someone who did not care about himself, being Daniel. Probably you don't know this. After Daniel had been so faithful for 70 years plus in captivity, with such a heart for God's land, God's temple, and God's city, praying three times a day, do you know something? When the return went, he was not able to go back. He was left there. He was probably too old to be able to go back. It's like this. If I can't make it, at least do it for your sake. Do it for your purpose sake, for your kingdom's sake. Lord, if you can't make me part of this dispensational instrument or part of this overcomers, do it in them. Do it with them. Gain what you're after in them. I think this is so beautiful. Here he was, someone who was so much for that, yet when it came, he did not get to participate in it, but he had participated in it for 70 years already. But physically, it was not his portion. But he was standing for it. Sisters, we should have this kind of attitude. Lord, whether you gain this with me, gain it in your recovery. Whether you're able to do this in me, do it in them. Do it in these young people. Do it in these young sisters. Whether you can gain this in me or not is beside the point. But the fact that you get what you want, that is what you need. I think we should stop, take a little break. We want to leave some time at the end for some sharing. Did we finish? Let me look at my notes. Let's, let's, uh, let's stop, let's finish by reading one more verse on the top of page 53. I think this would be a good way to conclude this conference. It's Psalm 110, verse 3. Let's read this together with a strong spirit. Your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your warfare, in the splendor of their consecration. Your young men will be to you like the dew from the womb of the dawn. Isn't that good? All right, let's take uh, maybe... Uh, 15 minutes. Can we be back here at 10 minutes after 11?